need a snack. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we are on page 66 in the book. So last week we finished chapter 4, and a big part of chapter 4 was the way that relationships work. He's comparing sons versus slaves. And this is important because if you, this is how you can understand where there's two dichotomies here. Some people who want to live under law, and part of the reason that people want to live under law is they feel like if you don't have law, then lawlessness naturally follows from that. People will do whatever they want. But that's not necessarily true if a person wants to be what God wants them to be, right? And that's the relationship between more like a son. And if you, so if you, if you read that with this idea of relationships, it just, everything kind of falls into place. It makes so much more sense. And there's many, many different aspects that you could bring up comparing sons versus slaves. Uh, one of them is long-term versus short-term, right? A slave is there for a, for a short-term, but a son you're invested in. That's a long-term relationship. And Jesus makes that point himself in John 8, 35, that the son remains, the implication being that the slave would not. The, also, when, you're, when you have a child, they're expected to look like you. I mean, in the physical world, they literally look like you, which makes sense, because remember what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, that our identity is in Christ. We're supposed to look like Christ. This makes sense if you're thinking of it like you're a child of God. Also, one of the differences is that it's a, one of them is a focus on accomplishments, and the other one is a focus on relationships. So if you're hiring a worker, you need them to just get the job done. That's their job. And when the relationship ends, when the job is done. So it's all about the accomplishments. Whereas a relationship doesn't work like that. Okay? A good relationship doesn't work like that. And remember, he talks about how you are an heir. Right? How do you inherit? You inherit because you have a relationship, not because you deserve it. And then also with children, you, you focus on the why, not just the what. Right? You tell them why you want, the principles by which they can live according to these things, not just how to do it. If you have somebody who you hire for a job, you tell them how to do the job because the relationship is only for the job. Whereas if you have a child, you invest in the long term. Right? You shouldn't have to hire a contractor and then explain to them how to do the job because they should pay you for that. That'd be training. Okay? But with a child, it's very different. You tell them the why you want to do it, the underlying principles, so that they can learn how to do it themselves. And uh, one thing I'll talk about is we, for the, because we're near, nearing the end of this part of the class, we're going to have two topical discussions coming up. So we're going to talk about what freedom in Christ means in the next class on, on Wednesday. Then on Sunday, we're going to talk about how do we avoid some of the traps that the circumcision party, and sometimes that we can fall into similar traps that the, that the people in that the Galatians had fallen into or the circumcision party. So we're going to talk about those and then we're going to we're going to finish chapter 6 and do a review about the same time because I think that chapter will go real fast. So that is the plan. All right, and there were I saw some more books back there so if you did want a book you're you're in luck at least was last time. I don't know if there's any now. All right, and then Logan's going to start us off with a prayer. The Lord our God we praise you. We praise you for who you are. We praise you for what you've done. God, we thank you for providing this time for us. We will come together. We will worship you. We will encourage each other. We will study your word. As you have revealed yourself to us through the scriptures, help us open our eyes to be able to see you and glorify you for who you are. We praise you and we love you. We praise things you your son's name. 
Amen. So today we're going to cover chapter 5. In chapter 5, he's going to, Paul's going to talk about freedom. But it is not a freedom such that you can live according to the flesh. And because the reality is, that's not freedom at all. There's, I'm going to show you a, a short video here. And what this person's talking about is how several people have found that they thought they would have sexual freedom if they could just watch pornography. And what they found was that it actually led to a type of slavery. And so they saw it only after participating in it and realized that it actually broke them. And it's strange because I have read some books. I, this is going to sound strange because I, I wanted to read books and see videos by people who were non-Christians talking about how pornography had damaged them. And it's strange because they're not approaching it from a biblical standpoint. And they're saying that it causes problems. They're, and they will use the words sexual freedom, that's what I thought they were getting, and then they'll say sexual slavery. Right? This, is, this is precisely the sort of thing Paul's talking about. This makes sense because this is the biblical worldview. But they don't even have the Bible. They're not using it, and they're coming to the same conclusion, which is interesting. What's interesting is that when we talk about sexual freedom, culture tells us that watching porn is a good thing, and it helps you discover and explore. That audio is not coming through, is it? Eilish also used to hold this view, but says that her views have since changed. In a recent interview, she talked about how Can you hear that? porn actually damaged her mental health. All right. And a lot of other celebrities have had similar stories. Well, let's go I'll ahead. just explain it. And so basically what he says is he's starting off with this a quote from Billie Eilish. And what Billie did was that she... She said that she thought that watching pornography, she started watching it at the age of 11, that it would bring her sexual freedom. And she says, I really hate myself for believing that because I really think it hurt me. It caused depression, it caused a whole bunch of other issues that, that ensued because of that. And so she said she thought that it was gonna bring her sexual freedom, but it, it didn't. It brought her a certain form of slavery. And you know, this is precisely the sort of thing that Paul's talking about. Not only that, but he goes on to quote that a whole bunch of other actors that are non-Christians, as far as I know, none of them were Christians. There's one uh, which was Kanye West, he quotes. Kanye West later claimed to be a Christian, so there might be one exception, but I think that was later than this. Said almost the exact same thing, that it brought them a form of slavery and that they had to, they had to work to get out of that, including even going to rehab to, to fix themselves. So it's kind of funny. You hear what they're saying. They thought they were getting freedom, but what they found was that by participating in the sins of the flesh, it just led to another type of slavery. Okay, so this is precisely the argument that Paul's making. And there's, these are people who are not coming from a biblical view, and they're saying, that's exactly what's happening. All right, so let's, I'm gonna go ahead and read chapter five. Also, it, and so be thinking about this as we read it. I wanna take up the question that Ryan Lee had asked about what are the sort of things that we as Christians should leave behind, the artifacts that we should leave behind. Because I think that that's, I would say if there's a chapter that answers that, it's chapter 5. Chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not be subject to the yoke of slavery. Listen, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be no, no benefit to you at all. And I testify again to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be declared righteous by the law have been alienated from Christ, and you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we wait expectantly for the hope of righteousness. For if Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision carries any weight, the only thing that matters is faith working through love. You are running well. 
Who prevented you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast makes the whole batch of dough rise. I'm confident in the Lord that you will accept no other view. But the one who is confusing you will pay the penalty, whoever he may be. Now, brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those agitators would go so far as to castrate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity to indulge your flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law can be summed up in a single commandment, namely, you must love your neighbor as yourself. However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For this flesh has desires that are opposed to the Spirit, and the Spirit has desires that are opposed to the flesh. For these are in opposition to each other, so that you cannot do what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I'm warning you, as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also behave in accordance with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, being jealous of one another. Okay, so what kind of things stood out to you? What questions did you have? Yes, sir. Say that again. We eat. Okay, so through faith we wait for righteousness. Okay, yeah, that's and it's true because it's there's if you look at the way the faith is oftentimes used, it's oftentimes used as somebody who's in it for the long haul, right? They're waiting for something because they trust God that's going to make something happen. That's exactly what happens in Hebrews 11, for example. What else? Yes, ma'am. He's comparing <clears throat> circumcision with the old law. But he brings up also uncircumcision. It doesn't matter which one you depend on. If you're depending on that, you don't have Christ. And if you don't have Christ, you don't have anything. Right, yeah, I think this is a good start of the entire book. If you do not have Christ, you do not have anything. It's not relying, you're people who are relying on circumcision, but you could do just the opposite too, is rely on uncircumcision to define you. And you're still doing it wrong. There's something that Phil said, which I thought was, it made a lot of sense to me. And he said that, you know, we, we have two sides. We have one side that says, you, who falls into kind of a checklist mentality. But then you have another side which goes almost so far the opposite extreme that their checklist is not having a checklist. Okay, it's like, the, the point is it's focused on Christ and either side winds up missing the whole point. The point is Christ and right there in the middle. Yes, sir. So mine is probably more of a question, but at the end of the fruit of the Spirit, it says, against such things, there is no law. So is this statement 
saying, is it referring back to the context of what he has been dealing with with the old law? Or is this stating a principle that as long as we, our motivation is through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as long as that is the motivation, then it doesn't really matter what we're doing. If that's the motivation, there's no law against it. Okay, so what do you think about this? This phrase, against such there is no law, right? Is this saying that if you have these fruit of the Spirit, you're basically doing the right things? Or is it, what, you know, what's going on here? Because what, what law are we even talking about here? Yes, Bob. When I first read that, I took it as uh, these are, you know, it talked about the sins of the flesh. And of course, there's law, all kinds of laws against those things. But the, the fruit of the Spirit, you're not going to find any of those in anything that says you shall not do. This is wrong. You won't find that. These things are right no matter what environment you're in. Okay, so, yes, the, so the fruit of the Spirit is more on the positive side of things to be, not just the do not do's, which is precisely how the works of the flesh. And so because of that, if you think about them that way, then if you have, if you apply the fruit of the Spirit, it's actually going to solve a lot of those problems of the works of the flesh, and they'll apply universally, right? There's a universal principle there. Yes, sir. Yeah, uh, verse 6 kind of uh, jumped out at me. For Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. But faith working through love. Faith, there can be a passive faith and an active faith. Biblical faith is always active. It's not just the mental ascent that God exists, Jesus is his son, is something that causes you to work. But that's modified with the through love. So you have to be working not just through compulsion, but out of love. Now, that doesn't mean that anything that we're doing that we say is because of love, that doesn't mean that that is necessarily right. And so we gotta be careful, because there's all kinds of people in the denominational world that might say, well, because of love, I'm doing this, that, and the other thing, and these are all things that I authorize. Uh, but if we don't have the love, then what we're doing by faith is not really acceptable. Yeah, good point. So it says faith working through love, which tells you the kind of faith it's talking about, right? It's not just talking about a wishing on the star kind of love. This is something where it works its way. And I think this fits good with Mitch's point, Mitch's question, because when you think of it like this, you have to work with the definition of love that God has provided. Because I totally agree with you, David. And it's not just with religious people. You go out in the world, they're going to use the word love, but they have a totally different definition. It, is, it happen, just so happens to always coincide with whatever they want to do. The definition of love that we're talking about is focused on what Jesus has done with the pinnacle being at the cross. That's the functional definition, which means when you think about it like that, then it, that changes our motivations, but it also tells us how to live out that. Right? It's more than just 
I think it's, I, I think one could reasonably say it's motivation, but it's kind of a more than that. It actually tells us the exact principles for how we figure out how to live our lives past that. Uh, Alan, and then... Okay, yes. Leaven, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And you see this, you can see this in two places. You can see it first of all in Galatians. Remember what Paul says, it's like, you would have plucked your eyes out and given them to me. You treated me like I was Jesus Christ himself. And then now he's saying, boy, be careful. You guys keep biting each other. You might just actually devour each other. So something bad happened, which ought to be a good sign or bad sign. If you have somebody who claim, comes in claiming some sort of truth, but... Every time they come in, it's just, you see dissensions and rivalries and anger. That should be a tip-off. Something's going wrong here. Now, sometimes people have the right viewpoints, but they develop them in the wrong way. Okay, so sometimes that can happen too, but either way, something's wrong. Yes, ma'am. If you want to know what an act of love is, you look at Jesus. As he died on the cross when he had done nothing wrong. Like, that is as active as he's going to get. And that goes to, it, I, I like it too, because if you, what you said, because if you have that sort of motivation where you want to love like God loves, this also solves a whole bunch of other problems, because then you're going to want to say, well, how does God love? That is what gets you into the gospel so that you can understand what love even means. Uh, I think I saw another hand raise. Yeah, Mike. So I want to go back to the fruit of the Spirit, because... The more and more that I study this and, and delve into this, I think, and I don't know if it's everybody, but I know myself, um, I think I've always pursued the fruit. But in reality, the fruit is the byproduct of pursuing the Spirit. And I think that is so important. That, you know, we always say that, well, we have to love, we have to have joy, we have to have peace. But if you take a look at 25, we, we are to live in the Spirit and let the Spirit walk and, and, and walk in the Spirit. And if we do these things, then the fruit will be love, joy, peace. It's like a fruit tree, right? I don't pursue or, or, or I don't focus on just taking care of an apple on the tree. I have to nurture the tree. And if I do, then that tree is going to produce this fruit that I'm seeking. And I think the Spirit's the same way. I have to pursue the Spirit, let the Spirit work in me, and then it will produce this fruit. Not that I am responsible for producing this fruit. I, I, I totally agree. Okay, you already said here. He said that the, it's almost like which is the cause or the effect. And sometimes we get this backwards. So we pursue the fruit of the Spirit. But it does seem like, here's, here's what it does not say. It does not compare the works of the flesh with the works of my Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. It's fruit. It's something born out of a soil, which then begs the question, what's the soil, right? That, that's how you work with it. You can't just, you don't plant plants. You, you make the soil right, you stick the seeds in, and you let it grow. It's a natural outcome. So you really have to go back, what is that thing? And that thing is actually the gospel story through the Holy Spirit working in us, and these things should come out of that. And if it's not, something else is wrong. You can't just pursue these. You've got to figure out what is at the core that's wrong. I, I totally agree. Yes, sir. Like, one of the things that struck me is the, uh, 
Yes. And see, this, this is a good point, because this is the question it keeps going back to. Were they going back to the law, or are they going back to a corruption of the old law? And it turns out they're in harmony. Right? The, the old law was always intended to do something, and it was the underlying principles were actually there the entire time. There was actually somebody who, we were studying Galatians, and she said that, she's like, it was weird because I was reading the Old Testament, I think it was Leviticus, and she said, with the fruit of the Spirit in the back of my mind, I wasn't intending to look for them. And she's like, I saw them all over the place. They were there the whole time, right? The principles were there. It's just, so a lot of times we, we kind of refer to the old law. I think people will fall in this trap of thinking the old law is just a big list of these small rules. It's like, no, but the big principles were there the entire time. John. Yeah, this, and this is why it's so important to realize this is a cause or effect and ask that question. Otherwise, we, you know, we do wind up playing mind games. Jill. Right. Okay. Do you know that's a because we, we fall in this trap sometimes of thinking that spiritual means non-physical. Now they, they are pitted against themselves in a certain sense, except for the fact you know in this they're contrasted, except for the fact it, it is meant to play out. It's, it's clearly supposed to play out in the physical world, right? Which goes back to Ryan Lee's question, like how do these things play out? And and I think you're you're right because sometimes people will be like, oh, so helping should should we help these widows? Well, yeah, we should do it, but that's not as important as a spiritual thing. No, that, that is the spiritual thing, okay? Stopping to help somebody who has been left for dead at the side of the road, spiritual or physical. Well, Jesus seemed to think it was spiritual. That's part of the premise under the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? Uh, helping orphans or widows, spiritual or physical. Well, James seemed to think it was all spiritual work. So we, we sometimes we can draw this almost like platonic dichotomy where it's like all the stuff that's in the spiritual world that is not physical, that matters. But the physical stuff and the way it plays out here doesn't matter. It's like, okay, Jesus came and lived a life here and died on a cross here. That was a spiritual work. It was the most spiritual work ever done on this planet. Yet it played out in the physical world, right? So is that physical or spiritual? The answer is yes, okay? <laughs> it plays out in the physical world, but it's a spiritual act. What else? Yes, ma'am. Christ's grace. 
And this whole chapter is clearly about freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Um, and I think that if we are focused on the law, um, in verse 15 it says, if you, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. It seems like focusing on the law will get us to that state where we're biting and devouring one another because we're looking at the things we ought not to be doing instead of being filled with the Spirit and working that out in love. Right. This is the core of the issue right there. Like when we go back and we start thinking, you know, like I said, the opposite of falling from grace is trying to be justified by law. This goes back to that, what is that soil that gets all these good things to come out of it? And when you go and you start thinking that I'm a slave and God's going to sit there and he's going to judge me according to this checklist, this isn't going to get you where you want to get. You want to get to all these things, you've you got to rethink this, right? It doesn't mean it's going away from law. It means going to the lust of the flesh because those are pitted against each other. And you can see it there because think about this. He says the fruit of the Spirit. You, you pointed out there's, a, there's a, a key aspect to this. He says the fruit of the Spirit, but if you go up, then he has the, the works of the flesh. And it is in this context, he says, that you are biting and devouring one another. Up in verse 15, right? And then look what he says. Verse 15, you're biting and devouring one another, but I say live by the Spirit. Wait, but I say. That's the contrast. That's the other side. And so now you can see. You want to see the, the fruit, if you will, of the works of the flesh. It's right there. And it's happening in Galatia. Yes, you know, we looked uh, in this passage, and we pointed out before, we don't really look at what our relationship should be with the Spirit. We walk with the Spirit, we uh, live by the Spirit, uh, we behave in accordance with the Spirit, and we'll have a tendency, unless we do that, uh, making verses 22 and 23 uh, a checklist. That's my checklist. I, I do all those things, so, so I'm good. Or are you living by the Spirit? You know, those little, and, and I think that is something we need to emphasize. Right, I, I totally agree. Yeah, we cannot let the fruit of the Spirit become the checklist. So, like, I have a checklist, but I'm going to have a different checklist now. The checklist includes joy, peace, right? Wait, you've, you've now gutted the gospel. How do you get those? That's the problem. The law can give you a standard, but it cannot give you motivation. You need that motivation to get this stuff. Ellen. He seems to have such a tenderness with them. And he says, brothers, you have freedom. You have freedom now. Don't, don't go to the flesh. Or don't, don't serve the flesh. But serve the brothers with a difference of, of way. He, he just said, what these others go and ask to themselves. Then he so tenderly says, you have freedom. Seek that. Yeah, he does. He just it's like you have freedom, guys. You have you have it all. What are you trying to add to it? Like, you, you were there. What's the what's the problem here? I totally agree, John. So I, I heard this really interesting debate about like when people, I guess, like commit sin or do do things that are wrong or misguided or whatever. Is it because they actually are desiring to do evil or because they have a So, like, for instance, here, with all these words of the flesh, like, I'm, I'm wondering, is this because, like, our, our fleshly desires, like, we actually think 
these things are good and we're just misguided about it, so we have to like completely put to bed all of that, or is it because like we're actually trying to go after some people? I don't, I don't know how that makes any sense, but I'm like I'm trying to kind of harmonize this too of like what are we how do we get from point A to point B with the words of the flesh to the uh, fruits of the spirit? Yeah, so Okay, how do you get from point A to point B, right? How do you get from the works of the flesh to the spirit? Because how many times do you think, do you wonder if people have their hearts in the right place or do they actually mean to do evil, right? Do they not even know what love is or is their intentions wrong? I, I think what's difficult about the answer, to answer that question is I think the answer is actually yes, right? Because it seems to be that we don't, know, we don't even know what love is at some point, right? It just becomes a word without meaning. If you've ever read the book, The Giver, there's also a movie, and, and it plays on that theme of this dystopian, that it, and it's, the way it's told, it's a story told without the incarnation, without Jesus coming in the flesh to live on the earth. And I say that because if you read the book, there's two, port, two parts where that comes up. And the book's not a theological book, but she injects it at two parts of the book to tell you that that's what's gone wrong. Right at the end, and something's right at the end or right at the beginning, it's usually very important. And then one in the middle, and the, when the person has no, literally has no clue what love is, he's like, I don't understand. There's this scene, again, you have to read the book or watch the movie. There's this scene where he's like, what is this? There's this feeling here that I'm seeing because he's seen something happen in the past. And it's just, it's kind of like a warmth, but it's, it's not quite, what is different? And the guy says, that's love. But when he, he goes home and he asks his parents, do you love me? They're like, precision of speech. They don't even know what it means. They literally don't even know what it means. So... Were they evil, or did they not know what it means? Well, the answer was, in a certain sense, I think, yes, right? Their motivations couldn't be made right because they didn't even know what motivations being right meant. Love had been removed from the story. So it winds up being kind of, I think, yes, right? If you don't know what love is, your motivations wind up being corrupt. Yes, Leanne. Yeah, I think we. Yeah, I think it's totally true. We fear freedom, and we and we certainly. I think that's like a part thing. We certainly fear it for others, because we feel like as long as you can't put it in this nice little box, who knows what people are going to do? That's what we argue. Okay, but if the principles are right, I actually do think we have an idea of what they're going to do. They're going to have the right things right. Of course, people are going to make mistakes along the way. That's just that's how we are, right? We we change our views as we're supposed to be doing. But yeah, we we want it in this nice little box, and so it's like, well, I know it says freedom. But, and then we proceed with a whole bunch of things and then actually wind up missing the point. I think I saw another hand raised. Yes, ma'am. But he says, if we live by the Spirit, well, uh, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. That doesn't mean we're not ever going to mess up. But our desires and our passion is for Christ and His will. When we mess up, we either let the flesh take over for a minute, or um, I, I don't think most of the time it's ignorance. I could be wrong, but but I know people 
who have known the truth and have allowed the flesh to take over, but yet they think they're still in Christ, but they have not crucified their desires and their passions. Right, I see, I think that's exactly the issue. Okay, it's just to crucify to the, these, these desires, crucify the flesh. And what's happening is, is I think when we start to move away from this idea of being made in the right type of person who wants the right things, it can be very easy to be like, well, you know, I'm a Christian, like you're saying, because I show up every Sunday, and I show up most Wednesdays, and I read my Bible every other day. Okay, look at the fruit of the Spirit. None of those made the list. I'm not saying those aren't important. I'm saying those are maybe down the line. Okay, what happened is, is that they've actually missed the point. They've actually moved to this law-based idea of just checkboxy stuff. And you don't even get the checkboxy stuff right. You know, the whole point of reading the Bible is to have these, you know, be made into a different person who will eventually have these things. Alan. Okay, yes. So there was a, a question in the book about this, how in chapter 3 he talks about receiving the Spirit, and here he talks about the Spirit again. So what, how, is, how are they the same? How are they different? How does this work out, do you think? Yes. The gospel, after Jesus came and presented the gospel in verbal form, told his apostles when he went back home, he was going to send the, the Spirit to bring to their remembrance everything that he taught. They took that and wrote it down. So the, the words that we have here in the written form of the Gospel were the words of the Spirit. Every, everything hinges on that. When we have the Spirit in us, it's because we have the Word in us. As we read the Word and internalize it in our heart, we have the Spirit in us. Same thing with God in Christ, they're all in us in, in the same way. When we seek after God and do His will, He, he is in us. So, yeah, so if you, if you see how Jesus thinks about His role versus the Holy Spirit, I mean, He specifically says, it's your advantage that I leave because the Holy Spirit's going to come. So I'm here, this is the time when Jesus is here, and then the Holy Spirit's going to come after. And like I said, Jesus did this in a verbal form. But eventually, the, this gets written down as a text. It gets pushed through to the, the disciples. And actually, the Holy Spirit, even after that, in the early church, guides the church toward the right direction. And in chapter 3, because he does say here, in chapter 3, he's talking about the, the Holy Spirit acting in these kind of direct, obvious ways. And if you go back and read Acts, you see that's exactly what's happening, right? He's doing these direct to tell them to push the church into the Gentile world, right? It starts off, Acts, Luke tells you, it's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 from, it's going from Jerusalem to Samaritans and then to the uttermost parts, okay? Jews to the Jew-Gentile mix, the Samaritans, and then to the uttermost parts. It's going toward Rome. And so the Holy Spirit sees, he's doing acts to say, I confirm this mission. These Gentiles, they're supposed to be the ones that are the next step, right? You should go out to the Gentiles. I think that's exactly what's going on there. So that, that seems to be the link into chapter 3. Uh, Alan and then Bob. I was thinking that, you know, uh, Ephesians 5 talks about being, not being filled with wine, but being filled with the Spirit. And, uh, the church has been done a whole lot more damage by 
by those who are not filled with the Spirit than by those who are filled with wine. And we've got to think of what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. He goes into that particular chapter to talk about the way you sing, the way you give, the way you do these things. That shows that. And I would say that also being led by the Spirit, you, it, you show that you are led by the Spirit by seeing the fruit that comes of it. Um, but the, this receiving the Spirit, is that much of the same? Is it receptive of it? Or is that more literal? Yeah, so I... I it's true that the Bible contrasts being drunk with having the Spirit, right? You can see the, the, the contrast here. Because somebody who's drunk and comes up and says, Hey, man, I love you, man. Okay, that's not love. That's, he's just drunk. Okay. That's, the opposite is somebody who's doing things for the right reasons, right? Uh, so I, I think, what was, what was your last question about how is a, a literal? What was that last part? Yeah, so this comes back to this question of, is, is it different, right? When we do see it, the Holy Spirit coming in this kind of direct, obvious, you know, miracle sign, how we want to call that. But here we see the fruit of the Spirit as all these other things. So which one is it? Like if you're a cessationist and you don't think that miracles happen today, how does this fit in? Does it still fit in? What do you all think about that? Yes, sir. Good point. Is so if we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, is the gift the Holy Spirit, or is the Holy Spirit providing the gift? Right? Do you see the distinction? Which I, I believe that again going back to his work and giving us the written word, that is the gift which leads us to eternal life. Right. So then if the Holy Spirit is there to give us the gift, that is to give us the understanding of that gospel story. That would make sense because when you you understand that gospel story, that's precisely we really understand it. I don't just mean the facts of the matter. I mean really start to to have this play out in your life and you're moved by it. That is the sort of thing. It seems like you get the fruit of the spirit out of. Yes. So I don't disagree that the spirit gave us the word. I think that is absolutely true. But I think that as you read through the New Testament, there's so many references to the Spirit and that the Spirit is working and that we are to pursue the Spirit that we, unfortunately, in my opinion, we have limited the Spirit and what He continues to do by saying the Spirit basically is no longer working actively because He's already given us the Word. So in essence, the Spirit is... It's spirits in heaven twirling its ethereal thumbs waiting until... Judgment Day when, you know, maybe that there's more work for him to do. Where I think that that there's just too many references and too many things that happen in our lives and too many directions we find ourselves in 
too many things that happen to say that the Spirit was not actively involved. Not that He controls our lives. We still have free will. But if we allow the Spirit into our hearts, if we allow the Spirit into us, I think He helps to lead us in directions, if we're in, in directions that will help fulfill uh, what He wants us to do on this earth while we are still on this earth. And so I really struggle with saying that the Spirit's work was only um, the Word, and so it's, His work is now done because it, we can see the Spirit is active all throughout the New Testament and still seems to be active today. Yeah, so it, and I read, when I read the New Testament, I kind of read it the same way where I have a lot of questions about how the Spirit yeah. works out. I mean, I, just, I do the same thing. I throw my arms up just like you did. It does seem like it's a little bit different. Here's where I wind up landing. I wind up landing that it feels to me like there's some places, like with the text, where I think, just think it's very obvious that the Holy Spirit worked. I mean, you just, if you study the history for how the New Testament documents came together, it's really hard not to see that somebody was doing something here, right? So it does seem. But you want to avoid, like you said, if you say the Holy Spirit was involved then, well, is the Holy Spirit still doing something now, or is he passive? Where I wind up landing is, the Bible doesn't, for me, describe in enough detail for me to be able to parse it out and, and kind of split the hairs and make it real clear. So maybe, is it possible that it is not how the Holy Spirit exactly works that's important, but that the Holy Spirit is working, right? And maybe that's just where we just stop there and say, oh, this is kind of a mystery. Bob? Okay, that's a good point. And that, if we and that concept actually helps with a lot of people understanding the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It's a relationship. Just like Jesus is in God, God is in us, Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, we're in all of them. It's the relationship that we have with Him. Okay, that's a good point, because if you think about it as a relationship, or we, like I said, we haven't applied it to the Holy Spirit per se, but if you just see yourself as being in a relationship with God, you know, however you parse this out, however it's parsed out, frankly, if you just have a big question mark, the point is, the point is you have a relationship, which kind of fits with some other things, like the Holy Spirit testifying to our spirit, how, you know, we, again, we can have a question about, but we do have, yes, I did see. Well, see, when an elder raises a hand, the elder always gets priority, so, boy. <laughs> That's a good point. There are two spirits here, right? And there's the Holy Spirit, and then in a certain sense, there's the spirit of this world, the unholy spirit, right? That's the opposite side. And so we got to see, you know, how, yeah, I think that's absolutely true. You got to think about when you're doing the works of the flesh, why are you doing them? Well, you know, you're following somebody, you're just following the right person. Alan and Mitch. Dare not necessarily say 
here it is, there it is. But we know it's there. We know the Spirit works in our lives. It's difficult to say, here it is, there it is. But we can trust it is. And also, the, the same with, with Satan. We do not, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and beings. And so we do not know how it is, but we know it is. And so it's a constant, I am aware that I am either a vessel unto righteousness through the Spirit uh, of righteousness or a vessel unto Satan and that Spirit. So I need to be careful of what I'm doing so that others can see, yeah, I can see him in you. It's so true, too, about angels. We know that angels do something. We don't exactly know why. And we're okay with that. We're at peace with that. So isn't it the same concept here? The point is, they should, he should, they, people should see him in us. That's the main point. Uh, Mitch? I wanted to touch on verse 13. I've got two questions um, in relation to that. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So one question is, is he taking a preemptive strike on what people will turn their freedom into? Or is he seeing this play out in their lives and he's actually addressing this? Um, the second one, the second question is... Um, The idea that um, our freedom, this opportunity for the foot, don't, um, well, let's see, what, what was it? So through love serve one another. Oh, so our, the, uh, in 19, now the needs of the flesh are evident. So when we are allowing <coughs> the deeds of the flesh to rule our life, we are then not serving one another. Or there, there's this correlation of if you're doing one thing, you can't be doing the other. Okay, so the first question was, is Paul doing a preemptive strike or is he seeing something play out? And I think the second one you said, if we're allowing the, the works of the flesh to take place, that is what that means that... We're what was that part? Our, we're serving ourselves. We're serving ourselves. Okay. Okay. Yes. Uh, I, do you understand the two questions? Okay. So the first one is, is he doing a preemptive strike or is he seeing it already play out? And the second one is, when we fall into these works of the flesh, are we saying that we're actually serving ourselves? Like this is a natural result of serving ourselves. I, I, my view would be, I, th I think he is actually seeing it play out right now. Because that's why, if you see his relationship with the Galatians, it seems like it's been degrading. I mean, he talks about how you guys would have plucked your eyes out from me. You treated me like I was Jesus himself. And now, in, in this context, right, right in the middle of this, is if you continually bite and devour one another. He says that right after saying you were called to freedom. So I think it's, it's a, well, I guess it's a certain sense of preemptive strike too. But I think he's seen it play out already. Yeah, uh, Bob. Two things. One is that we've already uh, uh, okay, let me go to the second one. verse 26 
wage one. Uh, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, <coughs> being jealous of one another. So those are basically coming at two different things. And I also just remember what I was, the other point, is that while we have focused on uh, the Gentiles going back to the law and circumcision, uh, that's not all he's addressing. He's talking about them going back to their former sin, right. their former sins, which would have been Good idolatry point. and all of this stuff that a lot of these works of the flesh would have been involved yeah, I, that's a good point. He, he actually acts like going back to this law is actually like you guys going back to your former state, which would presumably be the works of the flesh which would be involved. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And actually, you brought up another good point about how I think this shows us that how this is playing out, which fits with your second question, which is, is this because people are seeking their own things? Well, look at it. Let us not become conceited. Right? What happens when people start thinking that, oh, I have knowledge and you don't, so let me explain it to you, like in that way. As opposed to saying, I have something that's really helped me and I think it could help you too. That's, you might say the same thing at the, after this, but I think your motivations are quite different. And he talks about, Paul questions the motives of the people, the circumcision party, because he says, they just really want to brag that they basically got you in. Okay, how much do you see this today? where people will argue some case and you, you wonder how much do they care about the case they're making or how much that they just want you in their band. They want you on their side. I say, I think a lot of cases, you sit there, you're talking to them and you're like, what is going on here? Look, it's not about the case. It's about you getting them in their, your tri their tribe. And that's actually what's been going on here, which fits with this whole idea of you know, conceit and being jealous of one another, that sort of thing. Yes, ma'am. Oh. Uh, I saw Pointer. Everybody's pointing. Raymond! Oh, it's you, Raymond. You're on the hotspot. I think you have a good summary. The key part of this artifact is being a disciple. That is the artifact. But I think what the fruit of the Spirit tells us, it's not just the views that we hold, but the reasons that we hold them. Have you ever noticed when you talk to some people and they'll talk about these, these arguments? Like the spirit of this age is, is that all you have to do is you have to get the right points, right? Whether it's political points or they're, you know, whatever theological points. But how you treat others in relation to those points, that doesn't matter. And so if you're cruel, but you're not an apostate, you're fine. No, you, the fruit of the Spirit says that cruelty is apostasy, right? That's the point. All right. Thanks, y'all.